Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge-On Simmons. Welcome into episode 91. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Oddly enough, it feels like it's been a while since we've talked like on the podcast, but that was just Thursday night. I had the same thought earlier today. I was like, man, it's been a while since we did a pod and it just hasn't. It was literally it's been five days less ago. time, yeah, like less time than normal. I know. I just, it's it feels odd. like a lot's happened since then because like 100 plus football teams have played a game. <laughs> it and, did feel uh, like a really long, I mean, it was a long holiday weekend, but it felt like a very long weekend. It really did. It, a lot good. A lot happened. There's a lot going on. USF still bad. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati's bad again. It's just, you know, all is right <laughs> in the world. Yeah. We don't have to talk about what happened Sunday night. Um, but we do need to talk about, which I, I can't even remember like when this happened, when this fell on the weekend. I think it was Friday, right? The 12-team college football playoff is now official. Yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned that when we were talking about the pod, you were like, oh, we should talk about the 12-team playoff. And I'm like, that happened since we last did a podcast. Yeah, it, this... for some reason, it felt like Thursday and like we just didn't get to mention it because it was a post-game pod. But no, it happened Friday. Like it, it was... That whole situation is so weird because what they approved, which is awesome, is the exact exact format down to the letter that was proposed 15 months ago now before college football blew up and what it is is that it's going to be a 12-team playoff the first round will be on campuses the top four conference champions will get a bye and the top six conference champions are going to make the field and that is like this is like college football is saved like from the super conference fears from the sec and big 10 shutting everyone out from just the whole country not being interested and i feel like you saw that like this first opening weekend more than ever it's like okay so Oregon um, got demolished to the point that I don't even think they exist as a program anymore when playing Georgia. Did they fall out of the top 25? <laughs> they complete, They went from 11 to unranked. That's how bad it was. Utah went on – Utah, who's the who was like a top 10 team and favored to win the, the Pac-12, went on the road. playoff team. Went on the road to play one of the worst SEC teams from last year and lost. And it's like – and right now, one week into the season, the entire West Coast no longer really has a reason to be interested in the playoff race or the college football postseason. And that's bad for the sport. And that's why guys like Bryce Young, who are from the West Coast, are playing at Alabama. So just it just being able to keep that like now the Pac-12 champion is in the Big 12 champion is in like things like that. It just it keeps the sport so much more interesting. And obviously, it's huge, awesome news for UCF. UCF's going to be able to every year UCF can start the season legitimately saying if we win all our games or come close, we'll be in the playoff. And that's awesome. It's just it's such a massive shift from what you can what we kind of feel going entering the season now and i know like regardless it would have changed a little bit with going to the big 12 next year but now it's like a, a massive massive change where it's like not only because i think if it was to, would have stayed at four you would have still kept going into every season be like all right well, we need to go undefeated pretty much or maybe maybe one loss you get him but probably not like you probably need to go undefeated in the big 12 and undefeated in your non-conference games to have a chance to make the playoff and now it's if you win the Big 12, you're in. However, however many losses you have, if you win the Big 12, you're in. You cannot win the Big 12 and be in. I, I mean, and yeah. it actually, so the this actually, the other thing it helps is the Big 12's TV negotiations. I don't think it makes a giant difference, but the Big 12, like they get to, I mean, it's just going to make everything a more valuable TV product because now it's like, say you've got some October game with like, you know, TCU and Cincinnati or Oklahoma State and UCF or whoever these two like teams fighting for the top of the league it's like that is that game and all those games like that in the Big 12 and every other league they have playoff implications 
It's like that so many more games can be pitched that way. And it's just going to make it so much more exciting, make it a better TV product. And like I said, more than anything, it's just better for the sport. The top four conference champs getting a bye really makes it to that first round, getting five through 12, playing each other. It's going to make for like actual competitive games versus just Alabama killing yeah. everyone. And the one thing I do want to say, because I've seen some, because not all everyone's in favor, a bunch of Twitter's being stupid as usual. And I have to say the point, and we talked about this all a year ago when this exact thing was proposed before Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA, all that, is that none of this is about changing who wins the national championship. Alabama is still going to win the national championship most of the time. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, whoever. What this was about was inclusion and about making it so that, like, you look at how college football was 15 years ago in the BCS era, which I'm not saying the BCS BCS era was good, but there were storylines that mattered a lot beyond who was going to play in the BCS championship game. Who was going to the Rose Bowl was a big storyline. Who was going to end up in the Sugar Bowl was a big storyline. Who's in the top 10 was a big storyline. And for the last like six, seven years now, the only thing that matters is, are you in the playoff race or are you not in the playoff race? That's just the way the sport is covered. That's the way, that's what fans respond to. And you can- players opting out of the the Rose Bowl. You Players opted out of the freaking Rose Bowl, man. And like any given season, like week one right now, how many teams are realistically in the playoff runs? Like 10 tops? Maybe. Yeah, if that. I don't know. Like if, if and, we took if we took the time to sit here and name them, I don't know if we'd get to 10. And by the time you get to early November, you're down to like six. And and that's fine, except that when that's the only thing you pay attention to, that's the only part of the sport that interests you, that is covered, that the narrative is set by. That's bad. So changing that to that, you go into week one with there are literally 131 teams that sort of have a way to get there. I mean, you'll get to November and there will still be like 30, 40 teams who are realistically like we're in this. And that is going to, it's going to be a big recontextualization. College football is going to look very different, but it's just going to be so much more fun. And it's going to keep fans all across the country so much more interested. And that's why I never got the whole argument that, oh, it cheapens the regular season because it doesn't. I feel like if anything, it makes the regular season mean more because if you lose a game, that doesn't mean it's over for you. It doesn't mean it's over for half the country if they lose a game. It also uh, he, still matters a lot. Like people are acting like, oh, you know, 12 teams. Now everyone's going to get, there are 131 teams. Only 12 <laughs> of them are going to make it. Someone did the math that it's like, it, it was something like 90. If we had had this system from the athletic did this from 1998 to present, which was when BCS started n- more than 90% of the teams who would have made it in that span would have had two losses or less. So it's not like, and the ones that did it had more than that were like conference champions. So it's like this notion that, oh, nothing matters anymore. You can lose five games and be, and it's like, no, it's still going to be incredibly competitive. And yeah. think of these like conference title games now where like, like there were multiple conference title games last season where the winner would, if it was 12 teams where the winner would have made the playoff and the loser would have not. And how it's like just you have a play-in game basically and how exciting is that and instead we're all like oh look here's alabama and georgia even alabama and georgia would have mattered i know i'm just rambling now even alabama and georgia would have mattered more because last year when alabama and georgia played everyone knew that nothing really mattered in that game because georgia could lose and still go to the playoff whatever in this new system that game determines who gets a bye and who has to play in the first round and potentially even go on the road in the first round it makes everything matter more We've already gone longer on this than I wanted to because we have some other stuff to get to. Yeah, from that's my bad. SC I get State and, and Louisville, but I do have a couple more things I want to hit on. It's like one is is the one I guess one worry, and you kind of wonder how it'll change and how it could change in the future. Is those top four conference champions getting a buy? They don't get the revenue from a home playoff game. I don't know if there's anything like in place to be like, okay, well, like I don't know. I just feel like at some point. The, those top four teams like Alabama, be like we don't get to ever host a home playoff game because they're just always in the top four. I feel like that's going to be... No, I, I get it. That's probably the biggest obstacle. legitimate gripe 
that that there is in the system and you know but what, i just i just don't care like, I just, I'd rather, I, you know? yeah I, saying, I love i love that the first round games are on campus i think that's going to create for insane atmospheres it's going to create upsets i think or not necessarily upsets but it's going to be i don't know you if you have if you're one of those teams where you have a home game but the team coming in you know is expected to beat you because even though they're ranked lower they're probably per, like perception wise the better team it's going to you have your home fans behind you it's going to create some insane games and some, I, some a lot of fun i want to see florida have to go play at like the big house in december you yeah. know i i want to see i want to see a pac 12 team having to go deep into sec country and like when I you said, get these matchups normally they're in their neutral sites and it's like yeah it's yeah. fun but it's not the same and that's why I get what you're saying about the whole like, oh, well, you know, like teams like Alabama or Ohio State who are going to be in that buy area most of the time, they're not going to really get those games. And I agree that's an issue. And my counter to that is like, you're 100% right. But like, there was no way to pull this off without involving the Bulls. And I know a lot of people hate yeah. the Bulls. And maybe eventually down the line, we will move away from that. But like for the time being, they weren't going to be able to make this work unless they got the Bulls on board and giving them those quarter and semifinal games is the only way to do that. So yeah. Um, and then the last evil. The last thing I'm just curious about, do you think, and I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things where like, it's just, it might come down to a question of if you think UCF will win the big 12, which I imagine they will at some point, but like, can you imagine UCF hosting a, a playoff game? I mean, UCF, That's... if this system had been in place going back, you, like yeah. UCF would have, would have not hosted UCF would have been in the playoff three times in the last nine years. So just, yeah, I could see I, I the bounce house with them hosting a game. That would be insane. Imagine. Yeah. I mean, imagining that as, as an atmosphere of the backdrop for a playoff game is, is crazy, but who knows, yeah, man, I, but that's the, the thing that we the fact that we can dream about that now is awesome. Yeah. And so Cause before, fan bases. before obviously there was no chance because there wasn't home playoff games, but also just, there was no chance for UCF to even be in the playoff. For the but even now, part, like so. you look at Cincinnati last year, like they wouldn't have had to play Alabama at a neutral site in their first game. Like yeah. I, I just, it, it to, actually Cincinnati, I think would have gotten a buy which is crazy to think about. So it's just, it totally changes the sport. And there are going to be adjustments. Like college football is very much a, if you win your last game, your season was a success. If you lose your last game, it was a failure. And that attitude's going to have to change. Cause obviously like if you make the playoff, like UCF making the playoff is awesome. I don't think UCF is going to be in a position to win the playoff maybe ever, yeah. but you know, so you have to kind of redefine your season in ways like that, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah well, definitely. We'll leave, we'll leave that here for now i know they said they're trying to get it for 24 right but it might yep. be more like 25 26. they'll get it for 24 i think so. espn had that they're leaving like half a billion dollars on the table if they wait to 26 they'll get it to 24 <laughs> yeah always follow the money um but what we'll jump into now before we get into our louisville preview is things we missed from ucf and sc state last thursday which like i said it feels like it was so long ago i mean we're already barreling down toward another game like we're a few days away from ucf louisville being that it's on friday um, but just a couple of things like we, we did our post game pod that was like snap reactions, trying to just kind of digest everything within the what, like 30 to 45 minutes between the game ending and us starting and hitting record. Pretty much. So there's things that we missed and we're probably going to be doing this most weeks where we'll just have some stuff that we've had some time to digest it and had some time to, to think about it and talk about it. And that kind of can start with reevaluating JRP's performance and kind of within that, whether or not UCS wide receivers played as good of a game as I maybe thought they did in the moment. Yeah, that was an interesting thing to look back on. I got to give a big shout out to um, that one account whose name has now slipped my mind. Not Coach Gus Malzahn, right? Isn't it? Wasn't that it? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, not Coach Gus Malzahn, at not Coach Malzahn. That's easy to remember. 
who posted basically just JRP's film, just every pass attempt or rush attempts involving JRP. So that was very helpful. But yeah, that was one thing we didn't really touch on that night. And I feel like I just didn't really notice at the moment is the receivers did not have a good game, like more or less in any capacity. I mean, there were some really notable drops, which hurt JRP since he's not the like strongest pass to begin with. And they also just didn't play very well off the ball either. And that's, I'm not worried about it because I feel like a lot of that was more effort related than talent related, which, okay, you're playing an FCS team, but still it's for a position group that I think like, I don't remember where he ranked them, but at least top three, I would yeah. think it would be the consideration that the fan base would have for that group for them to like not perform. That was a little weird. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I, we went back, I went back and watched that video too. And I think I counted a drop for Javon Baker, Ryan O'Keefe, uh, Kobe Hudson and Kimor Gamble had one too. Yeah. And so it was just like, you kind of adjust, you take those and you kind of adjust. I even, I told you, you can kind of make Ryan O'Keefe's a wash because he made a catch in between two defenders that just was, that should not have been a completion. I still don't know how it happened. And in the moment, I remember thinking like, he didn't catch that. And then everybody freaked out. Yeah, I out. can't I believe like, oh, he came he up it. with that. Um, was that a yeah, good it, throw in your opinion or was that a bad throw? It, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a good throw because he caught it. Like he only, only, I feel like only O'Keefe could have caught it maybe. I got an argument with some of the people around me in the press box because they were like, that was just what a precision throw, you know, to like thread two defenders. And I'm like, I don't disagree. But at the same time, like, I feel like against better defenders, that play goes wrong very quickly. I think it was a good throw and a dumb decision. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We can roll. Or I don't want to say dumb decision, but just a a risky decision. Because you threw it at two defenders and somehow your receiver caught it. So, I mean, like I said, like that was a wash for for Ryan O'Keefe, but. I just Overall, throwing a throwing a chest level ball into double coverage like very very rarely works, but yeah, it did. So yeah, um, and one of the other takeaways we have now that we we have a few been a few days removed from the game is that we have actual stats. We do. We have real stats now instead of whatever the hell UCF gave out after the game. <laughs> so we can actually go back and look at things now. Yeah, um, and oh, just staying on the topic of JRP, twenty of thirty one, three hundred eight yards and four touchdowns. 15 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and yeah, he was UCS leading rusher. Which yeah, is... which is pretty crazy. Bowser, Bowser was interesting. I think that that's like something to watch because you know we kind of. I'm trying to figure out where we're at with Bowser because he didn't have a bad game. He had a he had no. a you know, 83 yards. Did he have multiple touchdowns or just the one? Yeah, he had two touchdowns, which I forgot. I, I yeah. went back and watched the highlights of it, and I was like, oh yeah, he scored twice. 83 um, yards and two touchdowns isn't bad, but he had a, I, just 23 carries against an FCS team. I just. And I don't to know. only, I don't know, for a running back like him, and I know he's not really like necessarily the quickest or anything like that, but he averaged 3.6 yards per carry, which isn't bad. It's not but bad. against a team like against an FCS team, you kind of expect more. The, you expect he, more like like Johnny Richardson's 11.8, you know. He was the one who had the most to lose from the O-line having the night that it did, you know. Because yeah. Johnny Richardson's fast enough to just get out of those situations. John Rice Plumley can clearly make things happen with his legs to sort of mitigate that. Bowser is a bruiser. And like, if your O-line is not going to block for you, it's like, that, that's going to limit what you're going to be able to do. But I don't know. I, I just, we talked about it on Thursday. So this isn't necessarily things we missed, but, and we'll talk about it in our preview, but him getting 23 carries was just, I think. 26 incre- touches total. If you count the three catches too. That's, that was an incredibly stupid decision. It, I'll just say 26 I, I know everyone, I know everyone's in like, we're early season. So everyone on Twitter is in like, you're not allowed to like, you know, critique anything that happened on the field mode, which is great. Loving that. But I'm sorry. I, there is no reason that he should have gotten 26 touches against an FCS team. There just wasn't. With well, his injury history, it's nonsensical. One of my predictions was that he would get less, I think it was fewer than 15 carries, which was a hopeful prediction, but also one that I thought, you know, with, especially with that the game, crazy. 
it wasn't even yeah it wasn't like a close game so i guess it's not like oh the game dictated the fact that he it was just they were up by 30 in the third quarter and they were still giving him the ball three or four times a drive and malzahn's reasoning of like well we looked bad in the third quarter so i wanted the starters to stay out there longer is like i i mean you're gonna risk your player's health to teach a lesson like we've seen Bowser's injury history. We've seen what happens to him after games like this. And like, we wanted, I was hoping that UCF was going to not have more than like three or four games like that for him. And somehow they had one against an FCS team. Well, it's the, <laughs> the dumb thing in my mind is like, okay, but if you're going to do that, like you do that with the rest of the starters. Don't do that with Isaiah Bowser. who has You have Johnny Richardson listed as a starter in the depth chart too. Do it with Johnny That's Richardson. True. Johnny Richardson got almost no carries. Mark Anthony Richards and RJ Harvey actually got zero carries. It, it, have, I just, I don't understand. Have we it. talked about this on the podcast, but maybe, maybe we have, maybe we haven't, but Bowser coming back for another year and wanting to position himself for the NFL. Do you think he's going to get a lot of games like this where he has a lot of carries rather than what we thought and that they were going to manage his, his carries? I think every player in the history of college football wants to be on the field as much as possible and NFL hopes or not. And I think it's a coach's responsibility to understand what a player can and can't do. Right. And unless there's just been some, you know, the Jewett folks or whoever have been like Isaiah Bowser's body has never been in better shape. He can take anything. You can hit him with a train and he'll be fine. I, I, I just don't understand how that was a good decision. I'm sure he wanted to stay out there. I'm sure Bowser was not complaining about getting more touches or getting the opportunity to score more touchdowns. But like, and, and what are we even saying here? That he has a better shot at the NFL because he's stat padded against an FCS team? Right. That's well, that's the thing that doesn't really make sense. But it's just more like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Because I'm trying to rationalize it. Because I guess maybe just the rationale was they didn't play well in the third quarter and he wanted to keep the starters in. But I think it's really as simple as that. I, yeah. I do. I don't think there's some like deeper meaning we're missing here. I just think it was a bad idea. Yeah. I didn't agree with Especially because I think that there's a game, you know, in like three days that they're probably going to need him to be really good for. And he could have been really rested. And instead he's coming off of a pretty heavy duty game. Yeah. Against it's, SC state. It was completely unnecessary. Um, is there anything else stat wise or anything? Oh, I wanted to, I think part of the reason I wanted to do this segment to begin with is to shout out Alec Holler and his block on uh, Johnny Richardson's touchdown. Because that touchdown doesn't happen without a good block by Holler. And I think we talked about, the only time we mentioned Holler on Thursday night's podcast was to say, we didn't see much of him in the receiving game, which we didn't. We saw more of Kimor Gamble um, catching passes down the field, scoring a touchdown. But Holler, I wanted to give him his props for that block because there's if there's one thing I love in football, it's blocking. And I don't, I'm, I guess I sounded sarcastic, but I'm being dead serious. Um, there's there another, else? there's another yeah, one that ahead. we need to talk about. Um, I, I didn't, we did a whole late night podcast and I didn't want to mention UCF's new uniforms. Okay. That's where I was going. I didn't know if there's anything other, anything else. No, I just, I want to, I, I just, to our listeners, I want to apologize for that. We like, failed. I, 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 I failed, you know, yeah, like I, I, I failed. I, I, and I, I want to be clear that it's not like I didn't notice them during the game. The people in the press box were getting annoyed with me because I couldn't shut up about them. But I don't know, something about after the game, it just slipped my mind. And I just want to deeply apologize for that. So we will talk about them now. <laughs> um, I thought they looked great. I I, yeah. I know that some fans disagree. I love this number font. Eric DeSalvo, when he was on a few weeks ago, said he thought they were going to look faster in this font. And it really does come across because the other number, I liked the old numbers, don't get me wrong, but they were very chunky and kind of took up the whole middle section of the uniform. And these numbers just feel sleeker and sharper and a little more modern. I love going from gold cuffs to black cuffs. It just, it was such a clean look. It just looked so just sleek and like, and you know, I don't know if this is even a detail that a lot of fans notice, but the sword stripe down the middle of the helmet is wider this year 
which I like a lot because I always thought it was too skinny. And they're going with black now, which it was chrome gold before. And I think the black just pops a lot more for these night games. So like, I thought that was a kick-ass first combo. I, I mean, I, I I really was happy with how it looked. And I know that like, it's been tough because the fan reaction was a little like so-so. And I think a big part of that, as I've said before, is like, it's just, it's hard to tell from a render, especially when you're going for clean and simple. It's just hard to get the vibe from a render. And I think opinions are starting to change a little bit now that we're actually seeing them on the field. That, that was the hope because I think it's, People were expecting, were, were, I think, over-expecting what the new uniforms were going to look like. And we talked about that a little bit with Eric um, also. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I love the lettering on the, on the name font. I just – I love that. Um, I still – like, one of those small details, but the the Polaris stars down the pants, I love that. They, should, was, they I mean, also yeah, showed was, up a lot more than I would have thought. I'm obviously not talking about from the press box or from the stands. I wasn't looking yeah. down like, oh, yes, I see the three stars, but just – and some of the still shots after the game and when you're rewatching the broadcast, some of the TV shots, it's a really small but really nice detail. And for UCF fans, to, I, I mean, like obviously a casual fan might not know what that is, but for UCF fans, it's just a really nice touch. And it kind of ties in, the, the you know, the space origin a little bit to the main uniforms. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we talked about it a little bit on on Thursday night, but the crowd, the crowd was very, very good for awesome. what it was. I, we have, I was trying to pull up the... Um, what the actual announced attendance was. Um, it was 43,000 something. Okay. Yeah, which is a which, lie. It wasn't 43,000, but it was right. probably 40,000, which for yeah. a Thursday night against an FCS team in pouring rain is really actually like really good. So yeah, yeah no complaints with the crowd. It was, it was actually closer. They, they announced it as closer to 44,000. Yeah. It was just not like, it no, was, but that's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they just announced tickets sold is probably what probably. they whatever which yeah but i mean for what it was i mean you see some of the pictures that came out of this game and just the atmosphere itself like we talked about it a little bit was like it felt a little bit weird at times but overall like for the big moments like it was loud and and stuff like that early on and it was just it was good to be back in the bounce yeah. house i'm expecting a really good uh turnout on friday night although you know even with this game i know it's, it's louisville it's a big one but there's again a nice chance of a storm so i just cool. don't care not after last week i mean okay um, well, with that, we'll jump into our UCF Louisville preview. Uh, it's UCF at 1-0 hosting Louisville, who is 0-1, which surprised me. They, I got absolutely clanked by Syracuse. It was 31-7. to Yeah, didn't see and that one coming. Um, that's cool. Even, even if they like, even if I would have said, okay, yeah, they might lose, but not 31-7 to where they just looked. I like watched they, a good chunk of the game. They just looked bad, like just flat out bad. Which, which is weird. I, I get that every team plays bad games and let's not forget they got beat up on by Ole Miss last year before playing UCF. So uh, it's not like, Oh, this game now means nothing or anything like that, but it was just, I don't know. It kind of puts UCF in a bad spot in my opinion, because now if you win, it's no big deal. You beat up on what's clearly a very bad Louisville team. And if you lose, it's like, how embarrassing is that? You just lost to a team that got murdered by Syracuse a week ago. Yeah. You think about like, if you lose, is your floor, like is your floor suddenly lower than Syracuse's floor? That, well, and, and it never actually works that way, but no, like, that's going to be the talk. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. it. UCF fans are going to freak out and national folks are going to, I mean, literally, I might I mean, freak we, out. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm probably going to freak out. But really that's, I mean, that <laughs> is what this game is to me is because we've been at this basically since the 25 game win streak where every year starts with a ton of promise. And then UCF has that early season loss that just drops them off the map. In 2019, it was the pit game. 2020 it was Tulsa last year it was Louisville it's like and it's always one of those first three games yeah and I'm really ready for UCF to go out there and take care of business in one of these early games because after this UCF plays FAU which should be a slam dunk plays Georgia Tech which should probably be a slam dunk it's like you can build some serious momentum on the season here and suddenly be four and oh or five and oh or whatever 
and you have to actually like i just that's my big thing is like can ucf just finally get back to that get back to being in the national spotlight instead of having that dumb early season loss that makes them irrelevant the whole season yeah and I, I, we have that list as our other main storyline for this because it just feels like that has to happen because if if you it's just such a difference if you if you lose this game and yeah you're going to probably be you're going to beat fau you're probably going to beat georgia tech and you go into that smu game the first weekend of october you're you're still three and one and you're like cool you know everything's in front of us as far as the conference is concerned but if i think if you win this game yeah i know originally i think i was thinking louisville would beat syracuse this would become a bigger game ucf could maybe get some more votes and get close to the top 25 if not in the top 25 by winning this game that's not happening but if they win this game, they'll beat FAU, they'll beat Georgia Tech, and they're 4-0 and all of a sudden, which at 4-0 and going into SMU, maybe they're ranked. And if not, maybe. that game I, against I'm going to fight back so, on right? that. I think they could get ranked off of this game. You think so? They're the only game on Friday. There's a Boise State game at 1030, but they're the only game on television. I mean, they're going to get people to watch them. And if they do come out and beat up on Louisville, I think they're going to get a lot more attention. That's, part, that's the other thing that makes this game such a big deal to me is that they're going to have a, a lot of eyeballs on them, a lot. College football's in full swing. They're going to be only game on TV in that window. People are going to watch. It's football. It's on TV. Yeah. And if they can show something, if they can really get that hype building. And to your point, going into SMU 3-1, and one, you're going in as just, with a loss to Louisville, you're going in as just another group of five team that maybe shows some promise, not really on the national radar. If you go in 4-0 with a win over Louisville, you're pro you're uh, at four. No, they'd be in the top 25. There's yeah. a lot of, oh, is UCF in the New Year's six contention? So-and-so and so-and-so. It's just... We, we've been saying all offseason that this game was going to tell us who UCF is. I don't feel that way anymore because of what Louisville did in their week one game, but I still think <laughs> that this game is going to tell us or is going to at least be a barometer of how much UCF can get in that national spotlight this year. If they can start with a string of wins here, I mean, 4-0, that's a third of the season. If they can be undefeated through that stretch, they will be getting attention. It will be UCF is back, blah, 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 and they need that so badly. They do. You can't yeah. be the future of college football if you're losing these early season games to teams you should be beating. So. I totally agree. And I think that's the that's the big thing is that it is it's a national game. It's a Friday night game. I don't disagree with you on any of that as far as attention and kind of some talk is concerned. I just am skeptical about the way the polls are shaking out right now, if they're going to be able to do enough against what might be a bad Louisville team. If 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 they get you know, they got blown out against Syracuse, if they also get blown out against UCF. I just don't see UCF getting enough credit to jump from the like mid 30s as far as votes are concerned into the top 25. I mean, well, we saw bigger jumps in week one. But I just, we'll see. I'm skeptical. I think that, I don't know if I'll say they'll be top 25, but I bet if they beat Louisville and beat them handily, they would be like hovering, like 27, Yeah, which would be great. And then they could pop in. Because the thing you got to remember too is like, you know, if this game was a 3.30 kick on Saturday, I wouldn't even necessarily have this opinion. But it is valuable. I mean, AP voters are just people. This isn't some <laughs> like very, you know, tough, strong system. I mean, they're just people. And if it's a game on TV, they're wa they'll watch it. They'll be more aware of UCF. Talking about the first week, UCF played an FCS team Thursday night on ESPN+. Plus. UCF didn't come close to being ranked, not because like UCF doesn't deserve it or whatever, even though they don't, let's be real, we're one game in. But because yeah. like how many national writers even have given UCF a second thought since the season started? Why how would many they? Of them, how many of them even looked up the score? <laughs> like... That's, but, no, but why would they? Honestly, yeah. you played right. an FCS team. You were unranked to start the season. You played, and at, nothing you do against an FCS team should qualify you for being ranked. So it's it's not some insult to UCF thing. It's just, now's your window. Now's your chance to get people to at least be thinking about you. And you have to take advantage of that. On that because, note of the, the voters just being people, I mean, you, you kind of can picture a scenario where, all right, you're an AP voter. You need to turn in this, this top 25 poll by what, at the end of the night, Saturday. And if you can, if, if UCF comes out and blows out a Louisville team 
and they're okay they're two and oh doesn't it probably feel pretty good to just all right i'll pencil them in down in the, in the 20s I already have one of my spots filled i mean you could see well, it. You've That's got to remember, ucf vote. has votes now so there yeah. are people who have ucf in their polls right now or in their ballots and if ucf beats up on louisville those people will move ucf up two or three spots and that will be yeah. even more votes and then other people who are voting will see oh wow look ucf moved up maybe i'm now thinking about ucf you know things like that so that is kind of how it spirals so and like I said, more than anything, it's just a brand building moment. We talked about this in the offseason. UCF's going to the Power Five next year. This Louisville game right now in this season is arguably their marquee or at worst their second biggest game. And next year, this is going to be the equivalent of like their ninth most important game. Yeah. And you need to win that. You do. You need to show we're going to the Power Five next year and we can play like a Power Five team. Because if they just come out and get beat by Louisville, it's like next year's going to suck because this, this team should be good. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those that you just can't lose. Um, we'll keep our, our discussion moving here. We'll go into our first key stat, and it's that Louisville is 4-11 and in true road games under their head coach, Scott Satterfield, which has been the last uh, three years plus this past weekend, one game. And I think I, that's all offseason when I thought more of Louisville than I do after their game against Syracuse. It was the big differentiator to me was UCF has this game at home. It's going to be a great atmosphere on a Friday night. And it's hard to beat UCF at the bounce house. And all that still rings true. I just think it's, I mean, even more. I mean, Louisville's maybe not a great team and they don't play well on the road. And it, it was weird because we were, we were at the Louisville game last year in Louisville. And the For atmosphere sure. just didn't like, I was, I was disappointed by the atmosphere in that stadium. I was it was mostly more. empty and the crowd wasn't very into the game until the very end which yeah. is not really what you expect from like, oh, we're going to a power five road game. This is going to be so fun. Yeah, wasn't really, it wasn't yeah. really a good atmosphere. Yeah, and so so Louisville ekes by on, you know, a kind of a fluky pick six at there at the end. And, you know, UCF has 15 players get hurt in the game and UCF still lost by a touchdown. Now you come back and you have the return game in Orlando in front of a full bounce house. It's It's a massive advantage. So it's funny, don't forget that at near the end of our late night pod last week, I said, I think UCF's going to lose this game. And yeah. I don't feel that way anymore. And No, me neither. There's a very real chance that we are just putting way too much weight on a first game of the season. Don't but care, unfortunately. the thing is, the first week's <laughs> always interesting. because Yeah, who cares? The first week's always interesting because it's like, you don't really know who's good yet. Like, you'll see things like one team beats a team that's in the top 25 and they shoot up. And then three weeks later, we're like, oh, that wasn't a good one at all. But like, Syracuse is pretty consistently bad going back like 50 years and yeah. they don't do a whole lot of like beating up on other power five teams so that happening to louisville makes me wonder i also wonder where it puts the status of their coach i wonder if it makes players almost tune out a little bit i don't know so i'm not really and going back to the home atmosphere it's like if this was a road game yeah maybe it's more of a toss-up but like if the crowd shows up which i think it will i just that's a tough atmosphere and this is a team that apparently can't play well on the road and didn't yeah. a week ago yeah, and you know if you can't the, handle the carrier dome. You're not going to get in the bounce house. On the point of you know maybe putting too much stock in week one and, and all that, you know, you, like you said earlier, Louisville lost to Ole Miss pretty bad. And I think that's the, the thing that's different about this. It, Ole Miss was a good good team last year. Ole Miss was. In I don't 16. feel I don't feel Syracuse is on that level of Ole Miss, so it's different. Yeah, Syracuse but, is not going ten and two and sneaking into the Peach Bowl or something like that's we, not on the table <laughs> we went into that game as we were walking to the stadium in louisville we had louisville fans telling us you guys are going to kill us like it's, yep. this isn't even going to be close and then you know we saw what happened and, and on that point i kind of looked it up just to see how they were at, as far as bouncing back after a loss in 2019 they were 5-0 and after a loss that was satterfield's first year they were 5-0 and coming off of a loss 
2020, they were three and four after a loss. In 2021, they were three and three after a loss. So, you know, that ability to bounce back from losses has kind of diminished over the last couple of years. And you kind of wonder if that has anything to do I'd be with curious. the status of their coach. I don't know what like what the trend is going to be like. Who cares what what? I'd be curious how that looks when the next game is a road game, too. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, like, I, it's that. a lot easier to bounce back at home when you're like, maybe right, I'll dive into that for a tweet. Yeah, you know, we're back where we're we're back where we're comfortable. We're back home. It's like this is just you got to go out on the road again to an even yeah. tougher environment. So, yeah. yeah, and and that's the thing too is even looking at it, it's some some of those games that they're you know coming back and, and winning, whether they were at home or on the road, they were against you know some of the more middle of the road ACC mm-hmm. teams. Like I don't think this is a Louisville team that has a lot of big wins under Satterfield. I can't. I can't think. Well, of... it's weird because Louisville is just like the program of underachievement. You know, like I even, I mean, they had Lamar Jackson, who was like, in my, in my opinion, the most exciting college football player of all time. I know it's debatable and they never won more than nine games with them. I mean, other than that one Teddy Bridgewater season, like, I feel like Louisville's just a lot of talk to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause they've had, like you said, I mean, even under Teddy, they had the, they had the one really big year I remember. And then that year that UCF beat them in 2013, that was supposed again, supposed to be their year, their swan song in the AAC, even though it was the first year of the AAC, they were supposed to, they were supposed to move on after one year and be like, okay, well, we're above this league. We're going to win this league on our way to the ACC. And then UCF beats them. And, you know, I don't even remember what they finished that year. They went 12 and one that year. Louisville went 12 and one that year. UCF was that the year. That's the same year I was talking about. No, because the year before, so they've had two good years because the year before they go to the Orange Bowl. But um, no, I remember that very specifically because Louisville went 12 and one, but since they lost to UCF, no one took them seriously. And they finished like 18th and I think went to like the camping world bowl or something. I know. Or the I know. Once, in my mind, once that game happened, it was like, all right, yeah, Louisville just kind of went. And on what you just said Louisville. is why UCF needs to win on Friday. Cause that's how people who are not a fan of a team view it. A team loses and it's just, eh, yeah. you know, they're off the radar. It's like UCF. And I'm not saying that if the, if UCF loses, the season's over, UCF could lose and go 11 and one. They absolutely could. But if let's say that happens, this you, the season is UCF loses and Louisville is their one loss, they will lose and it will be late October before anyone nationally starts talking about UCF again. And because maybe you don't that, care about that, but that yeah. does matter because that's a perception of Louisville too, though. Is like it just basically what I just said. What I feel is like it's Louisville. Like I know this is it's a little different for UCF fans and it's different for us because UCF just lost to Louisville last year. But if you're just you know generally you're thinking about Louisville, you're like hey, you know they're decent, whatever they're okay. They had Lamar Jackson a little while ago, but like other than that, it's like if you if, if UCF loses game to Louisville, people are just gonna be like, "Huh, you lost to Louisville?" Um, There's so yeah, it's not like there was a tweet that, and I don't think UCF's here yet, but Dan Wolken had a tweet that I almost want to pull up really quickly. So we're gonna take a very quick tangent to say that I, I don't know how big you are you are a college football fan listener if you're a UCF fan or a college football fan. I think if you've listened to this pod enough, you know that Bailey and I are big college football fans, and Boise State played Oregon State uh late saturday night and that is a game that uh you would just assume boise state would win easily and boise state got crushed i mean just crushed they could not hang with oregon state at all and i was just kind of watching that like no man yeah that sucks for boise state and the next day dan wolken tweeted and this is so true he said it's not a good sign for boise state that nobody is talking about how bad boise state was last night the ultimate signal that a program has lost juice and i thought about that and even like four or five years ago, like if Boise State lost to Oregon State week one, it would be like, whoa, what happened there? Like, that's crazy. What's going on? And it was not even a story. And that's what I don't, UCF is teetering in that territory now where it's like, 
the 2017 to 2019 stretch was great. You went to two New Year's Six Bowls. You won two conference titles. You finished in the AP Top 25 three times. That's awesome. It was also three years ago now. And you yeah. have to start getting notable wins back. The Gator win was great in the Gasparilla Bowl. That got, like, the juices flowing, whatever. But, like, now it's time to follow through in the regular season. You can't just, you can't just keep losing these games. Yeah. And uh, on that note, we'll go on to key stat number two, which is that last year UCF faced four quarterbacks who finished the season with 300 plus rushing yards. And in those games, UCF went one and three. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it's funny how that works because we've, we've, this kind of seems like it's been like a running thing for years and years. And I kind of thought they did better at, you know, containing some of those mobile quarterbacks last year. And like the record didn't show it apparently. Um, but you know, you're going into this game against Malik Cunningham, who, you know, Syracuse performance notwithstanding is very, very good, very, very, you know, mobile, great dual threat guy. I mean, he shredded UCF last year. So yep. that's the that's the big challenge from the defensive standpoint for UCF this week. That's huge. I mean, like like you said, we've been this isn't even like a gust thing. This has been a thing for like six years now. It's always just like UCF does great until they face a mobile quarterback. I mean, they have their own now, so that's cool, but I mean, and I, that's honestly another thing from the F, from the FCS. I, I can call them their name. The, S, the SC State game is the defense looked really good, but you, we still don't like. There's no way to know what the defense is. They looked great, but it was an FCS opponent. And if the defense is what they are supposed to be, if they are what we think they are, if the players who we think are going to step up step up, this should not happen again. This shouldn't be another year where every time you have a quarterback who can get out of the pocket, UCF is helpless because that was yeah. basically how it's been for several years now. Yeah. And I mean, you, you would think like it's, it's a lot of it's going to come down to those linebackers. And I, mean, I think they looked good last week, but it was, yeah, look at Walter SC Yates State. leading the Walter team. Yates in, uh, leading the tackle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think UCF is well-equipped to handle Cunningham a little better this year. And um, part of it last year was I think Tatum Bethune went down early in that game, didn't he? Yep. Um, I mean, they, they had just, injuries all over the place, yeah, but they, this isn't was, like just a Louisville thing. It's been years of this that, yeah. you know, you play a mobile quarterback and they're helpless. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think they're well equipped to, to handle it. And, and I, I think obviously coming off of, and, and it's, it's, it's good, a good sign. I mean, it, you probably wouldn't expect anything else, but any, any player and especially Gus Malzahn who they've talked to in, in recent days since Louisville lost to Syracuse, they're maintaining, you know, they know that this is a good team. They know Cunningham's a talented player and that they're way better than what they played like against Syracuse. So the fact that they kind of have their heads on straight there is, is a plus again, you would expect that, but it, it's something where they know how dangerous Cunningham is. And I trust that they're going to have everything in place to be able to stop that part of his game. And if you stop that part of his game, you limit a lot of what Louisville does. You saw yeah, that with Syracuse 100%. last week. 100%. And, you know, we'll see. I just, it, this is going to be such a headache if they lose. And I, and I like how we're putting on the defense, but like it is, it, it is mostly on the offense. I think, I mean, I think this is going to be our game where we're like, okay, let's see what JRP actually has here. You know, I mean, yeah. does he repeat the same mistakes from last week? Does he get better? Yeah. And that's where I feel too, that like some, some of that you, you can neutralize a quarterback like that. If you keep him off the field, if UCF can run the ball, well, if JRP is the one that's escaping and, and making and, and getting first downs on, you know, third and five and extending drives, and and doing that, you give your defense a little bit more of a rest to, to rest up for a guy who's going to probably have them running around the field a lot. Um, you know, so it, it's it's a it's a both sides kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, we can move on to key stat number three, which is, you know, it depends on how much you want to put stock in this. Whatever. I, I did this research where of the 88 spots, so you, have, you have an offensive two deep depth chart and a defensive two deep, two deep depth chart. You have 44 spots on both sides. So if you combine 
both teams, two deep depth charts on offense and defense. To combine those together, there's 88 spots, and only 31 of them are filled by players who participated in last year's game. So we can draw back on certain guys from last year's game or certain things in last year's game, but these are two completely different teams. Which I do like that because, like, I don't know. Last year's game was so freaking weird anyway, but like we kind of have to throw it out. Like Louisville beating UCF last year doesn't really have any bearing on this game, which sounds like such a UCF fan thing to say, but it's true. I mean, both of these, which I was surprised when you looked this up, the UCF part didn't surprise me. I didn't realize how much turnover Louisville's had in the last year. What kind of, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have the whole, whole sheet right here. I'm showing you Christian. It's not a video podcast, so you guys can't see it. Well, I got to see it. So six of six of the 22 on offense for, for UCF um, are returning, which is Sam Jackson, Lakahi Paule, Isaiah Bowser, who went out early in that game anywhere. Anyway, Johnny Richardson, Ryan O'Keefe and Alec Holler, who, I mean, you see how much he plays between him and Kamora Gamble. And then it's more on the defense. You know, half of the defense's two deep depth chart is back for this game. Um, but yeah, for Louisville, it was a surprise to me. It was just six of their 22 spots on offense. Um, and one of those is the quarterback, Malik Cunningham, we just talked about. There's the caveat in here where I, I didn't include, uh, I think I forget the guy's name. I think it's it's one of their running backs. One of Louisville's running backs is listed as the third guy on their depth chart. He'll play, and he played in last year's game. Um, the same thing for Mark Anthony Richards. I didn't include him in this because he's technically listed as the third guy. Which I don't um, think either of those guys are like going to. Yeah, I don't think it's a high game, impact kind so, of thing. Yeah. So Louisville's, uh, again, like just like UCF, has six of their 22 spots on offense filled by returning guys and just eight of 22 on defense. So, again, it's it's a very different, um, you know, it's different personnel on both sides. And, yeah, I mean, you can't take much. And as far as scheme and everything, it's the same coaching staff. So you can take a like, scheme and some of that stuff um, into account. But I mean, a lot, it's just the, the kind of the era we're in with the transfer portal is like teams are going to be different from year to year. And you're seeing that, how, how That's drastic, the do how we drastically need to stop, different they are. Do we need to stop making this a big deal? Cause like, it is true. We're like, Oh, like, wow, these two teams have so much. Not yet, it's like, presumably will. this is like going to be what it's like most years now for most teams. I think it's okay. Cause this is the first time that we've, we've done this stat. So, so it's okay. Next year we can't it's okay. It now we, we can probably stop by like at some point this season, we can stop doing that. Or I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking about that during the SC State game, though, like watching the game. And it's like, because usually like, you know, like four years ago, I used to watch a college football game. And I'm not saying it's bad now. This is much better. And UCF has benefited from it heavily. But like you watch a game and you're like, ah, that freshman's going to be like so good. And then like when that Kai Martinez had that sack and everyone's like, wow, he's so great. I'm like, I wonder like what the odds are he finishes career, his career. Like, I hope he doesn't transfer. <laughs> Well, cause like any of them can transfer. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's like, I, I like, it's just, it's funny. Cause like, it used to be like, you can get so excited for a freshman. Like I'm kind of towing the line where I'm like, I'm really excited for him, but I hope he doesn't show too much here. Like we don't, <laughs> we, we don't need, we don't need Miami coming with their NIL money and being like, hello. So it is weird. Yeah. It's kind of a new Which era. They've already been known, known to do so. Well, it's um, Miami never. breaking the rules. Never. never. Um. All right. Well, we could jump into our, our three predictions. Uh. Last week I went one and two because I went oh and three. I thought were... I was guaranteed at least one with the freaking rain delay. And then guess so what? For the first time in like three nights or in three weeks, excuse me, there wasn't a lightning storm. So up until like up until about like half an hour before actual kickoff, I was like, Christian's still going to be right. It was pouring. Like I, well, I we told, even talked I about told you guys. Yeah. I told you guys on the last podcast on the post game podcast that I arrived at the game, like as it was kicking off pretty much. Cause I just assumed that it would be in the delay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to go sit there and just, you know, sit in the rain. Which, as we um, said on the late night pod, technically there was like a four minute delay because it did kick off four minutes yeah, but we're, later than originally scheduled. 
I the, that that was what bothered me at the time though. So I was like, Christian's definitely gonna count that. And to my surprise, you were like, no, that doesn't count. I, I was too happy to count it. Like I would have, I wanted to be wrong on that one, and I'm thrilled that I was. <laughs> so I'll take my own three. I do have to say though, I may have gone own three, but I nailed the score prediction. I predicted fifty six to ten. It was fifty six to ten. So you did ignore everything I say here, but really keep an eye on my score prediction. Please. I went one and two, and I should have went two and one if they would have managed Isaiah Bowser correctly. <laughs> um, but let's go with your first prediction for Friday's game. All right, my first prediction is that Johnny Richardson will lead the team in rushing yards. I almost, I almost did that. That's weird. This was my polite way of saying I'm afraid Bowser's going to get hurt. Oh no! Because every time last year that they did this, where it was never the game where they used him a lot, he got hurt. It was the game after, and. I have no idea why he played that much against SC State, but I'm worried about it. And I also just think Johnny Richardson looked really good. And I think, for, I mean, Bowser's the guy you want for like the Cincinnati game or a game where you've got a team of really even talent you're playing where he can get you those yards. You need Johnny Richardson's your big play guy. And Friday night seems like a big play kind of night, you know, against yeah. a team that you might be better than. So I'm going with Johnny Richardson. Well, what's funny is I just, we were just talking about how like you can't really draw much off of uh, last year's game. And you can't, but Johnny Richardson played really well against Louisville last year. Didn't even know that when I pushed it. This he let's had go. Uh, nine carries for 101 yards. That's so, really good. There you go. Great. Um, but yeah, interesting. It's interesting you went with a rushing thing for your first prediction because I also did. And mine let's was that it. John Rice Plumley will outrush Malik Cunningham. Oh, I like that one. I don't know if Me I agree too. with it, but I like it. Um, Cunningham last week against Syracuse ran 13 times for 34 yards, which, I mean, I didn't go back with all of his game logs, but that seems like probably one of his outlier performances because that's... He had 1,000 rushing yards last year, yeah, so I'd say certainly, so. Certainly a, a low for him. Uh, JRP went 15 for 86 last week, as I mentioned. But it's it's not even necessarily just that Cunningham didn't run the ball well last week and that I think UCS is going to shut him down. It's more also that... Louisville couldn't stop Syracuse's running uh, quarterback from running the ball. He ran 16 times for 95 yards last week. And so I just like the, the, you know, both sides of that, where I feel like UCS defense is going to do a good job with them uh, with Cunningham. And I feel that JRP is going to be able to take advantage of some of the holes in Louisville's defense. And we saw it again, it was against SC state, but we saw his ability to break tackles to, to just escape the pocket and get seven or eight yards and, you know, break off some longer runs. So. I like I like the idea of, you know, like you said, it feels like a big play kind of night. Maybe he breaks one for a 35-yard touchdown run. I like that one. I'm not going to – I honestly, I if I had to guess, I'd say that one's going to come true. And maybe we are just putting way the hell too much on week one at this point. But well, that's what you do in week one. Yeah, why not? That, welcome react. to the Reactionary Pegasus podcast. We're just going to go week to week here and completely redefine our expectations for UCF players and season, depending on what happened in the week before. So. I feel like we were too measured last year. So this, this year's uh, that's a change for us. Yeah, and look, we're being measured goddess. So <laughs> now we're just going to go know. off and say crazy stuff. All right, my next prediction is that John Rice-Pullen is going to have 500 rushing yards in a single game. <laughs> not really. Uh, my next prediction is that the defense will win this game for UCF. Interesting. A little spoiler alert on my score prediction there that uh, okay they're winning but i think that the offense i still have some questions about maybe i will not feel this way after friday and this is not me saying the offense is going to have a bad night but if this defense lives up to the hype and the potential i could see it just making a mess of louisville's offense and keeping this from being competitive that's a good one um my next one is also defensive and it's that a member of ucs front seven will record a sack because i mean as we noted on the last it hasn't podcast, happened yet. <laughs> last week, that's not what happened. They had two sacks against SC State. One came from Justin Hodges from that night position. 
and one came from Nakai Martinez. So I think UCS front seven is too too good and too talented to go another game with us. I mean, we saw we said that last year, maybe, but they went a couple. It took them a few games to to get one. Is that um, a sign of a good defense when you have multiple sacks on the season and then them were by the front seven? Depends on how you look at it. Probably. I guess, yeah, you can look at different ways. It's versatile. <laughs> kind of like versatile. Yeah, defense. you're like you're like okay, I, mean, I like that that element of our secondary, but you also like ah, the defensive line should probably be getting in the backfield. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think I mean with Traymond Morris, Brash, with Josh Selscar, with Keenan Hester up front, I, Keenan Hester, he as another one like when you look at the interior, you talk about the offensive line a lot, where it's like you don't really notice if they don't play well, and you kind of notice last last week that offensive line didn't play its greatest. But you don't really notice a guy like in the interior defensive line like Keenan Hester, and I think he's just always causing havoc, which is great. Um, I don't know. I, I talk about Keenan Hester like a lot. You do. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Maybe he'll. Well, now it'll just mean that much more if he's the one who gets the sack. Oh, I will. That'd be so hard. Fell my head off. We'll be discussing Everyone that Friday night. Me, after like, the, uh... No one around me will care. No one around me will care. I think the, I think the fan base in general would care if UCF well, yeah, Louisville's quarterback. They'll care, but I'm just like they won't care that like it affects me personally. Okay. And like it's it's a big moment for me. All right. Well, if you're in the stands Friday night and you see Keenan Hester get a sack, take a moment to think about just, how this has affected Bailey personally. Think about how happy I am. Um, all right, your third prediction. My third prediction is that this game will feature a lightning delay. I thought. I mean, I don't disagree, but I thought because you didn't make that your first prediction, we didn't. Like, I thought we avoided that being a prediction this week. No, I'm just, like, in a really bad mood that I thought I had a shoot and didn't get it. So I'm not saying I'm rooting <laughs> for this because I'm not, but, like, I'm just going to keep doing this now until it happens. So Somehow, yeah, somehow the – like, I mean, we're still – it's Tuesday and the game's Friday, but somehow the hourly forecast looks worse for this week's game than it did last week. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, again, last week I thought it was, it was a shoe in for you this week. I also, the more optimistic uh, way is you could, you could look at it as like a reverse jinx. Like I predicted this last week and it didn't happen. So I'm preventing a rain delay. You're welcome. It's true. Nation. It's true. I mean, there's definitely some thunderstorm chances in the afternoon. Then there's more, it's, it's just a thunderstorm. And then it says scattered thunderstorms kind of throughout the night at different points. So eh, it'll be fun. You just said they're not going to be fine. <laughs> but now I win either way because if there's a lightning delay, I get a prediction right. And if there's not, I'm happy there was no lightning delay. It's like my rule. We used to talk about this with sports gambling. Like I do not sports gamble personally, but if I did, I would never, I would always bet against my team because then it's like either my team won and I'm happy or I got money and I'm happy. Interesting. Um, all right. My final prediction is that someone other than Javon Baker will lead UCF in receiving yards. Okay. I almost went this way, okay. but yeah, I don't know. It I just, just don't know if I believe it. <laughs> Part of me doesn't, but it also is like I feel it's it's less about Javon Baker and more that I feel that UCS wide receiver room is like that's just the kind of room it's going to be where it's like d- depending on the week one guy's going to have a really big game or and, and last week it was Javon Baker had eighty four yards, Kimor Gamble had eighty two from the tight end position. I mean, it's, so you don't think he, it's going to be like one it, like. It, no one's going to break out and have like 1400 receiving yards on the season. It's going to be, I don't, like... I mean, if anyone is, I think it's going to be John Baker, but I don't <laughs> think it's, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think like you see 84 from Baker last week and only 48 from O'Keefe. I think you could see like 77 from O'Keefe on Friday and like 50 something for Baker. Like, I, I think it's going to kind of even itself out from week to week and not necessarily. And I think that's good. I think that's good for UCF um, because it's not saying anything about like the lack of quality at, at receiver. It's more just that they have, so many good ones and Plus i think seeing we'll kobe see, hudson get his first catch of the year would be nice yeah preferable. I, I think we'll see more from kobe hudson um this weekend and if we don't then 
I don't know. Maybe we'll start to worry, but um, I'm not really it, receiver. That's a position where sometimes you just have a game like that, you know, like it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. No, and I don't even necessarily think he had a bad game. I, I don't, I wouldn't have to go back and watch to see if there were any times he was open and didn't get targeted. I don't even know how many targets he had. I just know he had one drop and that was the moment that I remember. Um, but all right, let's move on to your score prediction, which you nailed last week. We'll see if you'll nail it again this so week. tune in everyone for what's going to happen. Okay. Don't even have to watch the game. Just here you go. Um, I'm predicting, and I don't feel awesome about it, 34-21 UCF. We're always within a few points of each other. Did you do similar? UCF 35, Louisville 17. Oh, we're very close. Yeah. yeah. I It would have been a different prediction before the Syracuse game. I was leaning oh, like 28-24. Was was like yeah. <laughs> and now, and part of it is I've gotten more optimistic about UCF the farther we've gotten from the game, which I don't know if that's smart. I can't tell if that's hyper analysis. I'm not really sure. I'll get back to you on that. But yeah. and Louisville, like I said, I just Louisville's Louisville may go on to have a better season than their fans think. Their fans, by the way, think they're going like three and nine. I mean, their fans are in shambles. They well, want the coach fired. They want Cunningham benched. Yeah, they want Cunningham like, benched. Like unanimously want Cunningham benched. I was going through their two four seven message boards. It was a scary world. But at bare minimum, Louisville is a lot worse than what we thought they were going to be. I was talking about them this offseason like they were a dark horse ACC contender. They just got beat up on by Syracuse. They are not that. Maybe so, Syracuse is a dark horse ACC contender. Doubtful. <laughs> doubtful. I don't think so. But so, yeah, I think that UCF has a good shot at win. I, I would like I would like it to be an even bigger blowout, but I will take any kind of win. And I'm looking at, like, I think like a two-score win makes sense on paper. So. Yeah. We hit on it a little bit when we were talking about things we missed. But I think in the moment and, like, during the game and maybe after the game, I was harsher on JRP's performance than I should have been because there's some drops. In no, there. we had to be because, okay, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant really okay. quickly here. I know I've never done that before, but I just, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I have my issues with UCF Twitter and the Twitter mafia night nation, whatever you're calling yourselves these days. And one of my biggest ones right now is like, people need to separate criticism and analysis from like hating on the team. Like there's this big movement on like UCF Twitter right now that it's like, no one should be allowed to say anything bad against JRP. Like, are you in the practices? Are you in the locker room? He was amazing. And you don't get to say anything. And anytime you say anything, that's anything other than UCF is amazing and undefeated. People get mad. And like, I'm sorry, but as someone who covers the team, like what I'm doing and my job is to give you my thoughts and analysis on the team. My job is not to cheerlead. My job is not to say, guess what? Great news. UCF is amazing. And I'm getting really sick of the Twitter contingent that can't fathom the idea that UCF is anything but undefeated. And then they will in the same breath say something like, you, you're not allowed to say, you can't say the team was bad. You don't know anything. But then if I tweet, John Rice Pauling is amazing. They go, yeah, he is. Didn't you watch that game? And it's like, so which is it? Is it that we don't know anything or it's that you just don't want to hear criticism? It's like, listen, he had a good game. It's fine to say he had a good game. And also that it's not good that Isaiah Bowser was alone in 15 yards in every freaking direction. And he didn't notice him. Even Gus was mad about that. But I can say he's great and you're happy, but I point that one play out and you're pissed about it. I like, I just, I'm, I'm sick of that group of the fan base and I really need them to just stop. Cause it's so frustrating. It's like, we're here to offer analysis and analysis is not everything's great and sunshine and rainbows. That's propaganda. So just figure that out at some point, please. That was a great rant, but it had nothing to do with why I'm changing my mind and why I said that I'm, I was harsh on, cause I do, after going back and watching it, I think, yeah, there was still some, and I'll, I'll cling on to that. I mean, there were still some things that he needs to clean up, but I think there were also things that in the moment, I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, his numbers are, are way better than than the story. But I think for the most part, he looked he looked good. He has some stuff to, to clean up, like I said. But just after going back and reevaluating it, I feel better about him than I did in the moment. See, look, you're There's... one of them now. OK, no, I disagree. I feel better about him than I did too when watch the game. But yeah, 
I, and like that, I still stand by his stats were better than his performance was, but that's fine. It was an FCS team. I mean, it probably no, was. He showed it, a lot I mean, of potential. It was a 300-yard passing game with five total touchdowns, almost 100 rushing yards. Like, that looks like there were no flaws, but there were very clearly some flaws. Like, the fact that his stats could have been even better is actually kind of crazy. People defending but... the Bowser play blew my mind. Just oh, that made no mind. sense. Lots, like, I tweet about it, and so many replies are like, well, he cleaned that up later in the game. I would hope. Yeah. Or what or what actually one of the replies is gonna be tweet of the week, so I'll save it. But I there I was just, there was a lot. Yeah. And the, the fact, I mean, it, there it's just the way the way his game went was like there were things like that game that throw to gamble that was completed. He underthrew that, but there were other ones later on where like he he made he made some really good throws. It was just it was a mixed bag. It still was. And I'm not it was mixed know, bag. I'm not walking that back. I'm just saying it was less of it, I was I was more critical than after I went back and watched it again. I think he he looked, you know, really, really good. I mean, listen, um, it's the same thing we've been saying from the start with him is that he, he's not, I don't think he has the potential to be an elite passer. No. I think he can be a good passer. And that's all he has to be is, is because he's such an athlete. And that's fine. But, you know, we still have to talk about that. Hey, he he had some moments against SC State. And I, what feel, it, I felt better about it as the days have gone by, but he still had some moments. What it was for me was in the moment talking about it on the postgame pod, it was like that lull in like the middle part of the game felt so like that weighed over my head for like the yeah. entire night mm-hmm. looking back at it it was like okay yeah i mean he had a couple rough drives he missed some throws here and there but like it's nothing to be like overly like i don't think that defined his performance and i think in the moment i let it define my thoughts on his performance when i go back and watch it look good i agree and with that. there's stuff that he's gonna clean up and it's very rare for a team to play yeah we'll move on because now we're just rambling the rant took us off the rails i'm sorry but i've just that's been frustrating the hell out of me on Twitter <laughs> these last few days uh, and it's been building up all summer. It's a whole thing, but of course. And what was I going to say? Good, it's good to talk it out. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, okay, never mind. I had a point I was going to make about JRP, and now I don't know what it was. So, oh no, no, I know what it was. Really quickly, the whole thing about the third quarter that I feel like we blew a little out of proportion to is it's very rare for a team to play a perfect turned-on game start to finish. Yeah. And you have a lull in the game. I mean, UCF at its peak during the 25 game win streak, most games at some point they slowed down and that happened. And that's whatever. And honestly, I, I think part of it, you can honestly chalk up to just the fact that, you know, these are guys playing an FCS team coming out of halftime. They're running back on the field where most of the fans have left. The game's already out of hand. It's like, yeah, they probably weren't giving it their hundred percent there. And I think that's what pissed Gus off. And that's how Isaiah Bowser got 26 touches, but. Yeah. Still shouldn't have done that. Uh, quickly football news. Um, Mackenzie Milton joined the UCF radio team. Uh, came out on Wednesday night last week. I guess I think he's on pregame and maybe postgame. I think he has doing some in-game reporting from the field too, which is really cool for him. I'm glad. I think I've said this multiple times. I'm glad that just in, in whatever capacity they're keeping him involved in the program. That's. I wish he was being kept involved as a coach, but we. Can, I mean, so do we I. But this. yeah, whatever it takes. Um, John Rice Plumley, who we just talked about kind of a little bit, uh, was named to the AAC weekly honor roll after last week's game. You know who wasn't? Um, Desmond Ryan. Oh. Well, uh, we have a new Desmond Renner. His name is Ben Bryant, and he's much worse. So <laughs> get ready for a lot of references to him on this podcast here while he go. still has that job. Uh, here we go. Uh, Big Cat Bryant, former UCF uh, edge rusher, was signed by the Dolphins, their practice squad, uh, a couple days ago. And as far as the coaches poll and AP poll, those were both released on Tuesday, which was so weird for me just because college football obviously went into Monday night on Labor Day. And I'm sitting here on Tuesday. I'm like, where are the polls? And um, the coaches poll UCF is the equivalent of 33rd. They earned 23 votes. And in the AP poll, I believe they're the equivalent. I, I think I messed this up. They have 22 votes and they're tied with Fresno state and another team um, for, I think 31st or 32nd. Um, but with all of that, we'll jump into game of the week. 
which is UCF women's soccer uh, coming off their first loss of the season. They're two, one and two. They head uh, to number one, North Carolina next Sunday or this coming Sunday playing at one o'clock North Carolina is five and one. Uh, it's really, it's UCF's not in conference and they do this every year with women's soccer. It's difficult. They just played number 13 Ole Miss. They obviously played Florida earlier in the year. They played LSU. Uh, they have this game against North Carolina, who's number one. And they have Texas coming up at one point. I think Texas is in the top five. They're actually the team, I think, that handed North Carolina its only loss. And then before the Sunday game, North Carolina plays uh, Duke, who's either number two or three. So it's, uh, you know, North Carolina has a tough test before UCF. UCF has uh, a chance to knock off the number one team in the nation for now yeah so they're kind of off to a sort of out, but. not the perfect start again and i don't really know where we're at with that program I, but i feel i feel better about it i think than you do maybe i didn't I realize that I, I thought going through the first four games unbeaten was was solid yeah but there was one of know. them there was one of them where i felt they probably shouldn't have drawn that team but you know, <laughs> yeah. it i don't think it's bad by any means but i just i don't know i feel like they've set a standard for themselves the last 15 years now basically and the last couple of years haven't met it and i don't know this wasn't isn't, this isn't I've, I've said i don't know 40 times in the last two <laughs> seconds so but yeah i don't know so we'll see cool say it again i'll jump into <laughs> tweet of the week tweet of the week so a couple days ago after a not coach gus malzahn was nice enough to tweet jrp's game film i tweeted a few observations from it the good and the bad i pointed out that there was a clip where he's basically completely surrounded by defenders about to fall into the turf and he turned it into a 15-yard gain i also point out the play where isaiah bowser is like alone 15 yards in every direction and jrp doesn't like miss the throw jrp just flat out doesn't notice him throws it over his head to another receiver who was covered so i i just said the good and the bad i literally i tweeted i tweeted those and i said i'm feeling optimistic after watching the tape but his decision making does need to improve which i thought was totally fair Boy, did a lot of you have an issue with me suggesting that JRP, it was fine that he didn't notice that Isaiah Bowser was completely alone. Um, I could have picked many of these for Tweet of the Week because many of you had stupid replies, but the best one goes to a USF fan, for some reason, who was in here, the Golden Brahmin Network, who replied, that's literally every quarterback in a new system. So I know a lot of people on Twitter don't actually understand how football works, and I think that's great for you. Like, love that for you. But he just missed a checkdown. That, that has nothing to do with a system that there's no, there's no like system to learn there of like, Hey, when your check down is open by 15 yards in every direction, you should notice that has nothing to do with the system. It was a nonsensical yeah. comment. I forgot that Ole Miss ran an offense that doesn't involve checkdowns. Yeah. Didn't you know that? That's actually a very unique part of Gus Malzahn's offense. You know, the check down. He, yeah. He'll maybe write a book about it flat. since he invented it. Just, I just, I, I was so baffled by that. There were a lot of other ones in there too, but that one just stood out to me as like that at that point, you were just determined to defend him and you're going to say everything. By the way, if you are one of the people who replied, I'm not saying your reply specifically was stupid, um, unless yours was, but I don't know. I don't remember. There were some <laughs> you be, of you that really bothered you be me. your own judge of that. Well, there were a couple like what, like one replied and said, well, he's rusty at the quarterback position. I'm like, how long can we keep using that? He's been practicing as a quarterback since February now, you know, like we can't keep sticking with that. Um, Some, someone else replied and said that, um, I told you a few people replied and said they fixed it later in the game. He fixed it later in the game. I'm like, I would hope if he did that it, twice, that would be alarming. I was gonna say, is it fixing it? If, okay, this time he actually noticed the check down, like he was supposed to after getting yelled at by, by his head coach. Gus was so mad after that. Yeah. So yeah, I just... That's kind of that tweet was just a microcosm of the issue I have is like, it's okay to analyze and you don't have to defend. Like if you're defending that, just take a step back because you shouldn't be defending yeah. that. That was a really bad play. Doesn't mean he had a bad game. He had a really good game. It, not every play was great, 
You don't have to defend every play. The thing about that too is if you go back and watch it, he he would agree with you. He would agree yeah. with this because he in the moment before I think he even was getting yelled at, he like pointed to himself. He was pointing like, to himself. I mean, like he realized it after he threw the ball. Probably he was like, oh wait, like, as the ball is in the air, realizing it's going to be incomplete. He's like, wait, Isaiah's like right there. Honestly, um, ask yourself that if you're mad that I pointed out. Like, do you think if I showed that to JRP, he would be like, oh well, I fixed it later in the game? No, he'd be like, yeah, that was bad. Like, yeah, working on that. it. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Twitter's always a fun place for for analysis and stuff like that. I mean, I had sure a, I had a night the other night uh, on Twitter myself. Um, having more Bucks followers now, I forgot that some of them might be Florida State fans, Florida fans, and I forgot. I guess you know Mike Norvell must be a really really good coach because um, you point out that maybe in fact he's not a great coach, and you get attacked. Uh, somebody told me that my tweets were what did I say? I said my tweet. Oh, he said my tweets were insufferable. And then he said something else um, and he follows me. So still follows me. Cool. Yeah. I even replied fun. to that guy. Cause I, you were getting hammered on Twitter over saying Norvell <laughs> was not good. That was certainly sure, fun. I'm not well, used to them, you getting ratioed over tweets. I mean, it happens to me, but it was one of them was me just saying Norvell is, I don't think he's a good coach. Um, and the other one was just me saying like, it was, who was it? It was Greg McElroy who I oh, one I'd never liked Greg McElroy to begin with was talking about how Florida state suddenly back. Like, and this wasn't even, the game wasn't even over. They almost blew the game talking about Florida state being back because they were playing a team like LSU who was really, really bad on Sunday night. And I was like, that's just, that's ridiculous. LSU's also been out. a 500 team for two years now. Yeah. I called that out. And that's the one I said, like I said, I said McElroy's being insufferable here. And then that's when the guy was like, your tweets are insufferable. And I was like, thanks for following <laughs> what a comeback. Um, no, I'm, I, I didn't even give him the time of day. I'm simply too classy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with that, we will leave we will leave that here and we'll be back late Friday night with another post game podcast episode 92 breaking down all things UCF Louisville in the moment given our quick reactions until then you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams 22 at by CA Simmons and at night sports now thank you guys so much for being with us and we'll talk to you Friday bye everybody